So today we're picking it up in Acts 5, 17th verse. If you got your Bibles, you want to turn to this. There is so much, so much action that's going on in this passage. There's so many uh, cool things that are happening. But also what we find out in this, in this passage today is there's some of the real life that isn't so much fun as far as being a Christian that happens in this passage as well. And so we're going to cover all of that. And where we left off was the religious leaders and the people of power and position in Jerusalem, not just in the temple, but it's it's a larger group than that. They're trying to bully and they're trying to threaten. They're trying to scare the apostles to stop talking about Jesus. See, they've got everything at stake. They're They're led by the Sadducees. And the Sadducees didn't believe in in any life after this one. They thought, this is it. This is our one shot. There's no heaven. There's no resurrection from the dead. There's nothing. This is it. This is the only thing. And Jesus talked about eternal life. Jesus talked about being raised from the grave. And then he went and he did it. Jesus actually was was killed and he raised from the grave and he came back to a new life. And, And they're just doing everything they can to stop this whole Jesus movement. It's similar to what's happening in America today where we've got people that are trying to just silence any talk about Jesus at all. And so we're going to be faced with this question. Does our faith run deep enough that we're willing to talk about Jesus when people don't want to hear about him? You're going to have to think about that this morning. This is the same group of people now who thought that they could stop Jesus by murdering him on a Roman cross. See, they thought it was all done. It was, it was over. The Jesus thing was gone. They thought they'd taken care of this guy like they had taken care of so many other ones. But what they didn't understand was that death couldn't stop Jesus because Jesus didn't stay dead. Jesus is alive. He was risen from the grave. He's alive today. And that's the hope that we have in the good news of the gospel. So today we're going to talk about a lot of different things in this passage. But at the end of the day, we're going to talk about Jesus. Because that's what it's all about. And and what we see is that the focus of the gospel, the focus of the entire Bible, is Jesus. And that's going to be the focus of the passage today. But, But what it isn't, it's not how we feel about sharing Jesus. It's about the Jesus that we're called to share about. And so Christians, we run into this thing where we're told, ah, you know, pastor or somebody else says, well, you're supposed to share your testimony. You're supposed to tell people about Jesus. Yeah, the Bible says that, but I don't have to because. And we come up with these reasons why our testimony isn't good enough or you don't know about enough verses. Or, or maybe there's this thought in a lot of people's minds that if we're going to talk about Jesus, if we're going to work for Jesus, if, if we're going to share Jesus, I better get some recognition. I better get a pretty good pat on the back. I better get some sort of of a heavenly pat on the back or some sort of a great reward or at least a real feel good. But what we find out today, that isn't necessarily what happens. That's not what happens with the apostles. And so the first thing that we learn is this. We're called to tell the world about Jesus. We're called to share the good news of the gospel, period. God will take care of the results. Those aren't up to us. We just do the sharing. So as you're here this morning, have you ever stood up for something or someone in your life? Have you ever seen something that was worth or known someone that was worth standing up, even if people didn't agree, even if you knew it was going to get a hard time? Have you ever stood up for something that you got shot down or bullied or beat up over? Has anything mattered to you enough that you didn't care about the opinions of other people? You were going to take a stand. That's where we are with the the disciples today. 
The disciples have decided that, that they need to take a stand. The religious leaders who should be the one that are supporting them because they're the ones that have been teaching about the coming Messiah. They're the ones that have been talking about the Savior. And when the Savior comes, they say no. They put him on a cross. They wanted the end of it because it changed everything about their lives. They should have been helping. Instead, they're the ones that turn on the apostles in a big way. And part of the reason that we have got division and arguments and, and problems in the church today is because people are far more concerned about themselves than they are about sharing the good news of Jesus. So in verse 17, here's where we start out. But the high priest rose up and all who were with him, that is the party of the Sadducees, that's the rulers of the temple and of religious life. And then Luke includes this phrase, and filled with jealousy, they arrested the apostles and put them in public prison. Isn't it amazing what fear of the truth can do? Isn't it amazing what people will do because they're afraid of the truth? Luke makes it very clear that it's jealousy that they're filled with. It doesn't say that fear uh, full of God or fearing God or living for God. He says filled with jealousy because they couldn't do what the apostles were doing. Their life in the temple was very different than the life that the apostles were talking about and living out even within the temple. And so it is, Luke is clear that it's jealousy that's driving them to be so cruel. And, and even today, Christians, it isn't just people out there in the world. Other Christians try to stop what God is doing in the world out of jealousy. We look and say, well, well, my efforts deserve that, or I tried awful hard, or I gave an awful lot to that person or that place, and I want some recognition. And because there's jealousy that gets stirred up, people try to stop what it is that God is doing in them or around them or maybe even trying to do through them. And what happens is that they become what is referred to in Revelation as accusers of the brethren. They talk about people of God in a way that is there to, to dismiss or somehow discredit their testimony or their effort. Just like the Sadducees, they justify themselves and, and their fault-finding and their finger-pointing in the name of caring for the church. But in fact, it isn't the church that they're worried about at all. It's themselves. And so that's this group of people that's attacking the apostles. Verse 19, but during the night, so they're in jail... During the night, an angel of the Lord opened up the prison doors and brought them out. And he said, go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. And if you're looking at your Bible, I bet you the word life has a capital L because it's referring to one specific life, and that's the life of Jesus. That's the command. The command from the angel is go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. Go and stand. Don't go hide in a corner. Go and stand exactly where they told you you couldn't be. That's the command. And when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and they began to preach. What did the disciples do with the command? They were immediately obedient. They did exactly what the leaders told them not to do, but they did exactly what God told them to do. And, and so what's the message here? God will not be stopped and God cannot be silenced. And we forget that in the church sometimes. See, God will use whomever he chooses to accomplish whatever he desires. If you're taking notes, write that one down. God will use whomever he chooses to accomplish whatever he desires. It isn't our choice. We don't get to decide the work that God does in the world. We get to be invited by him to be a part of it. 
And God will use whomever he chooses. It might be somebody you don't like. It might be a preacher or somebody you work with or a family member. It might be somebody you don't like at all to accomplish something far greater than anything you and I ever get to have a chance to be a part. But that's God's prerogative. He gets to do that. He gets to use whomever he'll choose to accomplish whatever he desires. And so the apostles were delivered from prison. And they were told to go right back to where they had been. The very place they were told to stay away from and speak the words of life. Continue to talk about Jesus. And so the word delivered. Deliverance is a word that's kind of gotten misused in the church. Deliverance goes a lot of different directions. And and it isn't always healthy or productive or even accurate. So let's talk about that for a moment because it matters very much to you and I. Deliverance is being freed from the things, whether they're sins or thinking or habits that imprison us. Deliverance is being freed from the things that imprison us. That's literally what the angel did. The angel delivered them from prison. In one moment they were in prison, the next moment they were out. An angel sent by God to deliver them. So here's where that's important for us. Jesus has come to deliver us, you and I, from our sinfulness. It didn't just happen in the book of Acts. It still happens today. Jesus has come to deliver us from our sinfulness. So what did they do when they got to the temple? What was the first thing? You think that they might have been quiet. They they, they might have been a little bit reluctant or hesitant to get thrown back in jail again. Why is it so important that they were obedient and immediately began to speak the name of Jesus? Here's why. Later on in the New Testament, Paul shows up and Paul says in Romans, he tells us that faith comes from hearing the word of God. Faith comes from hearing the word of God. Those men went back to the temple, the same place they'd been arrested, and went back to preaching and teaching the word of God because they knew that was where faith was going to come from. You think about it, we're never going to know salvation, we're never going to know a new life in Jesus if we don't hear about it. If you don't have an opportunity to be told, how are we ever going to know? And then once we're told, we have a responsibility to go and tell others. That's the whole basis of the Christian faith is duplication. Now that you've heard, you go and tell someone else. And you don't have to tell them everything there is to know because none of us know all of it. What we're called to tell people is what we know. The Jesus that we know and the Jesus that we've been experiencing. And we can all do that. Now when the high priest came and those who were with him, they called together the council and the senate of the people of Israel and sent to the prison to have him brought. They brought all of the power players they could, and it's such a good glimpse into the way that the human mind works. See, we have this tendency as people to gather around us people who think just the same as we do. Even if our thinking stinks, if we can just find two or three other people that agree with us, suddenly we're emboldened. Suddenly we feel like there there must be some credibility to what I'm thinking here. And so they gather all these people that think the same way. The council and the entire Senate, the, the power base is there to conspire against Peter and John, even though they've seen already that it doesn't matter, that God will not be stopped. What they didn't realize is that their very limited power was powerless against God. And what you need to understand as a Christian, as a Bible-believing follower of Jesus, you need to understand that the world and anything that the world and the enemy of God will throw at you is powerless against Jesus. We've said this before, and it's so true. The same power that raised Jesus from the grave, we just sang about it, is alive in you as a believer in Jesus. The very same power. The world is powerless against that. But when the officers came, verse 22... 
They did not find them in the prison, so they returned and reported. We found the prison securely locked and the guards standing at the doors. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. Isn't the first time that the impossible has happened in the Bible, is it? How in the world the guys who have been locked in prison had guards posted at the door, probably in the middle of the jail complex, how is it that they're not there? But it isn't the first time that the apostles happened. Remember, the impossible has happened. Remember the empty tomb? That's impossible. And yet God did it. Remember Jesus appearing in the upper room when the disciples are all gathered because they're afraid of what the, the, the other Jewish leaders might do to them? Jesus just appears into a room where the door was locked. It, it seems impossible, and yet he did. I can't explain how the angels came down or the angel came down and released them from prison, but I don't need to explain it because the Bible says it happened, and that's good enough for me. Speaking of things I can't explain, what about Daniel in the lion's den? What about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace? What about all the times throughout the Bible where God showed up and did things that we just simply cannot explain? And he delivered people, faithful people, out of seemingly impossible circumstances in order to show his power and glory. See, God has this habit throughout history of doing that kind of stuff. And here's why that's important and why it's good news. Because God can deliver you from whatever is imprisoning you. Whatever is holding you down, whatever you are afraid of, whatever has got control of you, whatever is keeping you from living the life that you know you were created to live, God can release you from that. He can deliver you from that no matter how impossible it might seem. Because the truth is our biggest troubles are only temporary in the light of heaven. The biggest thing that you might ever be facing is temporary in the light of heaven. Verse 24, now when the captain of the temple and the chief priests heard these words, they were greatly perplexed about them, wondering what this would come to. Here's the deal. People who intend to bring evil or discredit to God or God's messengers are always perplexed when their plans don't work out. Because bullies just never expect someone more powerful to face them. And that's what folks like this are back in, in the book of Acts and in, in the world today. They're just bullies. They're people who, who bark loud threats, and they never expect anybody's ever going to face them. But here's the thing. The name of Jesus is more powerful than any bully, including any self-righteous religious person that might show up in the temple 2,000 years ago or in a church today. And so what do we have to be afraid of? Nothing, because we have the name of Jesus. Verse 25, and someone came and told him, look, the men who you put in prison are standing in the temple and they're teaching the people. Can you imagine being the guy that had to go to jail, find out they weren't there, come back and then say, oh, by the way, they're right back where you weren't supposed. They're not supposed to be. I'm thinking somebody lost their job that day. And the bullies are wondering what happened. We hold all the cards here. We warned them. We threatened them. We told them they shouldn't do that. And yet there they are, right back where they were. So the captain with the officers went and brought them, but not by force. For they were afraid of being stoned by the people. So they're bullies who are jealous and they're chickens. Because they're beginning to understand that there's something going on here that we really can't do much about. And they were beginning to see the power of God at work. What the name of Jesus does and they were beginning to realize they were powerless before him. Verse 27, when they had brought them, they sent them before the council, and the high priest questioned them, and he said this, We strictly charge you not to teach in this name, yet here you are, 
Fill in Jerusalem with your teaching. And do you intend to bring this men's blood upon us? Don't bullies always follow a threat with another threat? And if it doesn't work, they show how cowardly they are because now they're saying, but we're not guilty. You're trying to change the events of history and make us look bad. You intend to bring this man's blood on us. Remember last week? I said conviction because conviction doesn't always feel good. When the Holy Spirit works in us, conviction can feel like a real serious pit in your stomach. It doesn't feel good, and we try to figure out how to walk away from it. We point our fingers, and, and we say it's somebody else, or someone's talking to me, and they have no right, or, or well, I must just have a stomach ache. But conviction is when God gives us a glimpse of what he sees in us. Conviction is that glimpse when God shows us some part of our life that isn't looking like him. And that's what these folks are feeling. And, and rather than, than admitting that they were guilty, they throw out more blame. Rather than ask for forgiveness, they decide to flex their muscles and bully the apostles a little bit more. And they just don't know where to stop because the fact is they don't have another option. They don't have another game plan. And that's the way bullies are. They just keep coming at you, coming at you, coming at you. And these guys realize that they're powerless to the name of Jesus. Reminds me a few years ago, Deidre and I were on the beach in Florida. We were walking. And uh, there must have been one kind of rogue wave that washed this little puffer fish. It was like a big guppy is all it was. It was a tiny little guy. But it, it washed a puffer fish up on shore. I'd never seen one in person that close before. So, you know, I'm going to help him out, right? He probably is going to die. But I reach down and pick him up. I'm going to throw him back in the water. What's the first thing he does? Immediately, he puffs. And this little guppy got to be a bloated little guppy. And I realized, man, that, that, that's so much like people, isn't it? And the cool thing was is that I said, i got a really good sermon illustration someday right here. So here it is. He puffed himself up, but he had no bite. There was nothing more that he could do. And that's bullies when they try to stand against God's anointed. And you need to realize that when you're living in obedience, you become one of God's anointed. You become one of the people that God chooses to bring the good news of Jesus out to the world. And a bully can't stand against that. When we're living in obedience, nothing in the world can stand against God's anointed. And and anyone who tries is nothing but hot air. They're like that little puffer fish you just kind of have to chuckle over. See, we don't have to defeat them ourselves. That's God's job. But standing against God's anointed, they're realizing there's nothing they can do in Jerusalem here this day. So Peter and the apostles answered them, we must obey God rather than men. That's the takeaway question for today. Who must you obey? Who will you be loyal to? When your back's against the wall and you may need to make a tough decision, who will you obey? What will you obey? Because all of us will. Every one of us are going to be loyal to something. We're all going to live our life because we believe in something, and that's going to be how people know us. That's going to be people how people understand us. Uh, will you obey the political party that you choose and stand up for whatever it is that they believe, whatever it is they tell you to believe, no matter whether you agree with it or not? Because people in America are doing that today. And we're being divided down the middle from people that we love because people are telling us that we don't get along anymore. 
What will you stand for? Who will you obey? See, the new reality is we no longer interpret the facts of the news ourselves. We decide which political party we agree with, and we go to the media source that supports them, and then we're spoon-fed what it is that we're supposed to believe. And truth becomes completely a matter of personal opinion. Maybe you must obey, your, your background is that you must obey what a particular denomination tells you to believe. Maybe your life situation is such that you feel like you must obey a spouse or they're going to get upset with you. Maybe you must obey what your boss is telling you to do. But the thing is, the thread that runs through all of that is we obey what we believe in. We, we obey who we trust. We obey the people and the things that we want to follow and identify with. See, I, I don't believe in my own goodness. I, I, I've seen that I'm not too often. But I believe in Jesus. I don't believe in a denomination because I've seen what, what denominational teaching can do when, when a denomination stands on something that is a long way away from what the Bible says. I don't believe in a denomination. I believe in the Bible. I don't believe in a political party or a candidate to be my Savior because I know they won't. I believe in the eternal truth of God's Word and that Jesus is my Savior. What do you believe in? Who will you obey? Who will you shape your life around? What do you believe in and what does that cause you to do with your life? You've heard me say this before. If, if people know you by your political affiliation, not by your Christian faith, you're doing something wrong. You're in trouble. If people know you as a Democrat or a Republican or a Libertarian or a Socialist or whatever it is, there's quite a buffet out there. If people know you by that, not by your Christian faith, you're in trouble. See, just because men or women put you in a cage, and that's what happened with the apostles. They literally put them in a cage. They put them in jail. Just because men and women want to bully us into believing or being something doesn't mean that God wants you in a cage. See, when we're obedient during our good days, when we're obedient during those days when we understand and get things straight, God, who is always faithful, is going to be there for us in our bad days. But we've got to make the decision who we're going to obey and what we're going to believe. And what you believe, you become a spokesperson for. You start telling people about whatever the thing is that you obey and believe. And so people might not want to hear you share about Jesus with them, but everyone needs to hear about Jesus. And as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus, as a disciple, we need to get that clear. People might not want to hear it. But if you believe Jesus is who he says he is, you know that everyone needs to hear about him. And that was what motivated the apostles. They knew that everyone needed to hear about the risen Jesus. So back to the beginning, I said, we're all called to tell the truth, or to tell the world about Jesus, period. And God will take care of the results. We just do the sharing. What people do about what you tell them about Jesus, that's their business, not yours. God will work that out. And I think, I think where did we begin as a church? Way back, we started out ten and a half years ago. It was almost 11 years ago now that we started meeting, I guess. Seven of us started meeting in a coffee shop. Coffee shop's still there. Awesome lady let us meet on a Wednesday night. And she said, yep, just clean up what you can, make your coffee, and we left money. It was an incredible, it was someone who understood that God was at work. That there was a movement that was beginning in seven people. In a little coffee shop, in a little town, in a, in a pretty small part of a state that's way north. But God was doing something. 
We had no funding, and, and we knew that we were supposed to be completely unlike any other church in the area. We understood that. And all we wanted to do was to be faithful to what God was calling us to do. We weren't trying to be different, but we knew God was calling us to be different. And I'll tell you this, the one that seemed to be drawing the short straw to be the new pastor did not look to pastor a new church. His wife was not excited about jumping back into another church because we've been chewed up and spit back out and then chewed up and spit back out again. But we knew that we had a call to share the good news of Jesus one person at a time. And, and so we listened to what God was saying and, and seven of us discerned it and deciphered it and, and we started moving slowly one person at a time because that was how big our vision was. To be faithful one person at a time. Now ten and a half, almost eleven years later, here we are. Here you are. And it's amazing to me when we start looking at the kingdom of God one person at a time, the difference that we can make. So it's kind of funny, I look back when word went out into the city that this local guy was coming back and going to plant a non-denominational church in New London. I got letters, I got emails, I got phone calls, I got stopped in the street, I got stopped in the parking lot of Walmart, not once, not twice, by the, excuse me, not once, but twice by the same lady. I don't shop at Walmart anymore. Everybody wanting to know what is wrong. Why are you trying to turn things upside down? Why would you do this? Everything is going so well here. Everything is working out just perfectly. And, and, and you know what's amazing is not once did a pastor contact me, save one. One pastor contacted me. He said, congratulations. Wish you the best of luck. Can I pray for you? Please. His church moved him on down the road shortly after that. The criticisms were brutal. They still are. It isn't fun to be on the front line of ministry. The apostles understood that. I understand that. And yet here we are. And you know what the thing that's so awesome for me is here you are. Because almost 11 years ago, none of you were promised. We knew we were going to plant a church for people that we didn't know. And we knew that we were going to stick to the Bible. And that would be the hardest way in human terms to ever grow a church because it's hard work. And yet that's what we were called to do. And here you are. And today, almost 11 years later, we're still trying to reach people with the good news of Jesus one person at a time. And the thing that's so cool about it is we're not responsible for the results. We're responsible to be faithful with the message. And when we think about one person at a time, I've realized over the 10 years we didn't plant a church. We're a part of a movement. God's doing something that we could have never imagined, we couldn't have dreamt for, we couldn't have planned for. But we get to be a part of this movement that God is doing. And it isn't just here. God's doing it all over the place. And because some of you cared enough about your friends and people you worked with and invited them to some part of life in our church, we had an event here a few Sundays ago that absolutely blew my mind. People from all different parts of our church family, 33 of them stepped into the water and gave their life to Jesus and said, I'm going to live a new life as a new creation for him. Because somebody cared enough to invite them. Roll the video.
<laughs> Let's do it again. I had one of the moms ask me after that, stuck around because we had a big celebration, what's it like to be out there? And, and I'm speaking for Ryan and Pastor Patrick and Jason and, and a mom that got to step out and other people who have been there in that moment. I said, it's the most awesome privilege in the world. You know that you are in the epicenter of God at work in our world. Someone goes into the water and they come out a new person, a new creation. 33 people gave their lives to Jesus, which means 33 people had somebody introduce them in some way or another to a ministry of this church. And they said, I'm willing to give it a try. I'll come and check it out. I'll see if you think that your testimony doesn't matter. If you think that how you uh, have experienced Jesus and who you are doesn't matter. Ask any one of those 33 people. Ask her. Ask any one of those people if your invitation matters. It does because 33 people accepted Jesus' invitation to a new life. That's the church that I want to be a part of. That's the kind of movement that I want to give my life to. People who understand the power of Jesus at work in them and are willing to go against everything that our culture tells us and to tell their friends and neighbors and coworkers and introduce them to Jesus and tell them how much he means. And the thing of it is, God, God isn't done with us yet. That was an awesome event, but it isn't the last one. Let's do it again. Absolutely. There's more coming because God isn't done. In the coming weeks, you're going to hear a lot from up here about what God is doing and where God is leading us as we look to develop this property that we're on for God's best kingdom use and how it is that we can reach the people of this area in the most effective way. And we really believe that we understand what God is calling us to. And if we understand then... Why it is that God's future is the future that we want to move into. And to do that, we have to take the book of Acts and understand that we need to put in practice what it means. And that is to be united, one heart and one soul, as we move forward. But Satan doesn't want us to move forward. There's going to be opposition. There's going to be trouble. We know that. That's why Luke is so clear in the book of Acts about all the people who are of one heart and one soul. Satan wants to fill our hearts with anger and division and doubt unhappiness, isolation. God's Holy Spirit fills our hearts with love and unity. And as a church, we need to understand that. As a family that's got different arms and different ministries, we need to understand that. It isn't about one part of us. It's about all of us. It's about this movement that God has invited us into. So I think back to the early days of our church, and, and I sat down with Austin, and I said, so here's the thing. I, I kind of want, want to explain who we are visually, and I, I have no mind for artistry whatsoever. Asta is tremendously blessed. I said, I, I want, like, God's hand, that, that everything is in God's hand, but it all focuses on the cross, and, and we're going to spend eternity looking at, the, at the, just the brilliance of God, and that everything comes out of that. But here we are, we're caught in this big old universe of ours, and she delivers this. It was our first ever logo, and I still love it. Because that's not your hand or my hand, that's God's hand holding everything. And it's a heart because we want our heart to be united with God's heart. And everything that we talk about, everything that we are, has to point to the cross of Jesus and what he did for us there. But behind all of it is God's incredible love for us. That's who we are, and that's what this place is about. From the beginning, we've been grateful that God placed his name on this church, and he's had his hand on this place. And, and I realize the Open Door Christian Church isn't just a church, it is a movement. It is a movement of God that God has begun all over the world. We've never had an ambition to be big. We've never worried about numbers. That's God's business. We've only tried to be faithful to God's calling. 
We're going to let God worry about how big or how small we're supposed to be. What we'll worry about is doing our very best to present him in the most honest biblical way that we possibly can at every time that we gather. Our concern is preaching the truth and the goodness of God, not our own goodness. Not why you should follow me or follow us, but why it is that you should give your life to Jesus. Why it is that we should understand that he died for our sins. Not long ago, some of you here never imagined you would invite someone to church. You never would have imagined the stars could have lined and the circumstances could have fallen in place that you would have ever invited anyone to church. And yet 33 of you did and 33 lives were changed and God isn't done yet. People took you up on your invitation and God did the rest. And people now know salvation in Jesus. They understand what sin is, but they understand what forgiveness is. They understand what it is to repent and to put someone else in that place of their life that their focus is on Jesus, not on us. And we're all called to tell the world about Jesus. And God promises that he'll take care of the results. We just do the sharing. What we learn from this passage, when God moves, man cannot stop it. And this is a movement of God. We've got the privilege here at the open door to be a part of the book of Acts as God lives it out in our world today. Eyewitnesses to the power of the Holy Spirit at work in people, in a church, in a community, throughout our area if we're willing to be faithful. And it all begins where it began 11 years ago, and that's with one person telling one other person at a time about who Jesus is. So why would you do that? Fair question. We talk about God having his hand on this place and, and we taking his name very seriously here. If you call yourself a Christian, if you identify yourselves as a Christian, if you repent and believed in Jesus, maybe you're still working through the baptism. If you call yourself a Christian, then God has placed his name on you as well. You are a follower of Christ. God has placed his name on you. You have accepted that. And you've accepted the fact that God has his hand on you. And now what you do with that is our privilege and our responsibility is to go out and not tell the whole world, but tell the world one person at a time. Because Jesus is still in the business of saving lives. One at a time. Let's pray. God, thank you for who you are. Thank you that despite our failings, despite our sinfulness, despite our selfishness, Despite our pridefulness, despite our desire for recognition or approval, despite our fear of people thinking that we're crazy, despite all of the things that we do, you still love us. And God, you sent Jesus to do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. And God, when, when we follow Peter's words, repent and believe, repent and be baptized, Something happens that we'll never be able to understand until we get to heaven. Never completely. But we can understand that we are now given the opportunity, given the privilege to share who you are with other people. Thank you that we got to celebrate 33 people who were invited and accepted your invitation. And God, I just know that you're not done. I know that the best days are yet ahead. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for your Holy Spirit and the way that he works in this place, bringing us and growing us in faith. Thank you for Jesus. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.